This will be the insert for the 53030 group live shot. When it comes to breaking news, there's nothing quite like being in a TV newsroom. Right now, we've just been informed of the delivery of the Mueller report in some form to Attorney General Barr. U.S. President Donald Trump sets off a lot of moments like this, as Al Jazeera Washington correspondent Patty Colhane knows too well. Oh my God, I'm so tired. It's so Washington. Like, hey, it's five o'clock on a Friday. I'm like, we know it's garbage day, right? Question is, when you're a podcast devoted to the deep dive with a whole world to cover, which moments do you pay attention to? This week, it wasn't hard to pick. Well, breaking news now, the special counsel's investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 U.S. presidential election has concluded. Patty, it's now in the hands of the attorney general. What will he do with it? Well, he said that we basically needs to take a look at what can be released and then give it to Congress. He's going to be under a great deal of pressure to not... But that's not the end of the story. Not by a long shot. I'm Imtiaz Taib, and this week on The Take, the Mueller post-mortem. We'll be talking to the Al Jazeera investigative team about Trump's attempts to build a tower in Moscow. But first... Producer Amy Walters cornered Patty Colhane about the latest on the investigations of the President of the United States. So are, are we done? Time to pack it in? Go home? It's all over? No, and this is what is just insane to me. The Republicans, and especially the president, his allies, they have wasted no time saying, look, no collusion, and literally no one knows what Mueller said. We know what the attorney general thinks he said. So there's a political ploy happening here. This is Donald Trump trying to cement for his base and those undecided that there was no collusion. Okay, just so this is clear, the Mueller investigation is over, but the report is not out. What we have is a four-page summary from Attorney General William Barr. Mueller's investigation, which could top 300 pages, it's still pretty much a mystery. What we do know is secondhand from Barr's report on Mueller's report. And Barr says Mueller didn't find enough evidence of Trump conspiring with Russia to change the course of the 2016 elections. But Mueller must have explained what happened, right? Because there's a lot of questions to answer. We can't be done. OK, back to Patty. So on the collusion question, and this is what is still unknown to me. Let's think about this. We have six people close to the president who were involved in some way with his campaign who lied to investigators looking into the Russian connection. The former national security advisor to President Donald Trump pled guilty to lying to the FBI. When asked about it by a congressional committee, Stone sure. allegedly lied. Uh, but there are questions about the credibility of Cohen's claims. In two you know that if you lie to the FBI, it's a crime and you go to prison. So why would these people lie? I just, that has not been answered. And then there's the second part of the letter on whether Trump obstructed justice. 
this is where the debate is going to get interesting. So William Barr, the attorney general, says Robert Mueller does not conclude that the president committed a crime, talking about obstruction of justice. It also does not exonerate him. Now, there are some people who think Mueller did that because he thought Congress should answer that question because obstruction of justice is an impeachable offense. Ask Bill Clinton. So did Mueller expect just to leave it as an open question? Here's the evidence, Congress, you figured it out. But then William Barr grabbed it and said, no, I get to decide now because you didn't. We don't know because all we know is that Mueller was not consulted on the letter that William Barr put forward. So do you think that William Barr is spinning us? You know, he wrote a memo before he got the job that said the president can't obstruct justice pretty much ever. So if he believes that, then of course he's going to say he didn't obstruct justice because he doesn't believe the president can obstruct justice in this way. I think there's another question, and and we've talked about this before this report ever came out, was, was the president ever interviewed? He wasn't. Lawyers are saying that's a big problem because for obstruction of justice, you have to prove corrupt intent. How do you know what someone's intention was if you didn't talk to them? It just seems like there's a flaw there. You're hoping that Congress will somehow get get hold of the report. What are the different paths? Okay, so Congress has given them a deadline, and they have to do that. And so they've said April 2nd, I believe it is, and then the report doesn't show up. Mm, what do you do? Well, you can subpoena it. The committees have the power of subpoena. Barr can fight it. He can go to court and claim executive privilege. He can say, I don't have enough time. So that's going to take a minute. And... Meanwhile, the Republican narrative is set in. If you ask anyone on the street, they say there was no collusion. It's over. It, 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 is, it is feeling like Trump's sort of time in the sun, at least for now. Oh, yeah. An, an unquestionable win for the president. This has been a cloud over him. We know that it's been bugging him because you just have to look at Twitter. He couldn't stop tweeting about it. And now he's going after those who went after him. This is unprecedented in American history. We don't jail our political opponents. We just don't. And now they're talking again about locking Hillary Clinton up. So, yeah, no, he's and he's got Lindsey Graham in the Senate who's calling for a special counsel to be appointed to look at how the investigation into President Trump got started. And what does that mean for the people of the United States? Oh, my gosh. I mean, it has such repercussions if it happens. I don't know if it's going to. I think we're starting to see very clear signs that the rest of the world is moving on. They have decided, especially the allies, that hmm, this guy can't be counted on. And if this guy can be president, then maybe we need to think longer term because the Americans put him in office. The alliances are crumbling and we see people moving away from thinking, yes, America's got a, you know, a stable place. But I do think that there are a whole lot of places in the world are going to be like, good, America messed up my country. The people who don't see America as a force for good in the world, they're most likely thinking, well, that was easy. You know, look, it just took one president who broke all the norms and went after every American institution. Impeachment was once on the table. Um, it came up again at the midterms. Uh, and then after the midterms, it sounded like Nancy Pelosi was pulling back on that. I don't think we should impeach a president for political reasons, and I don't think we should not impeach a president for political reasons. But you have to be ironclad in terms of your facts. And we'll the head of the Democrats was saying that's not really 
a direction that we're going to go anymore. Does this take all the wind out of that sail? It takes a lot of wind out of the sails because, and again, because everyone is assuming they've heard from Robert Mueller which they haven't. It's not just Republicans, it's Democrats who are saying, okay, so this is probably done and dusted. But it's all about the political calculus right now, right? So the Democrats have put all of their eggs into the basket of Mueller is going to give us something to impeach the president, knowing that right now there's no will, there's no political will in this country for impeachment. It would tear this country apart. So politically, they need to be careful. The eggs in the Mueller basket, I mean, was that even the right basket? Yes, it was an available basket. But was was Russia being involved with the Trump campaign affecting the election the main problem? Or was Trump's corrupt business deals, the fact that we have foreign leaders of every sort supporting Trump, staying at the Trump Hotel, the fact that he still has this property that he was trying to build in Moscow in the Trump Tower there. Were the Democrats backing the wrong horse? But there's so many horses, right? I mean, every single day there's something else that would make in a normal environment, people would be like, I'm sorry, what? The Saudis spent for, they paid for 500 nights in this hotel? I mean, how much marble does one person need to see? You know, I hear the linens are lovely, but 500 nights? Is it possible that we just won't get all the answers? Uh, that, that, that the people who were pushing to find out what was going on with the Trump Tower in Russia and, and Stormy Daniels financing and how many other investigations? This is the thing I keep going back to, and I think everybody is missing the point now. The Southern District of New York, federal prosecutors there, they are looking at the inaugural committee, and there's a lot of just fishy-sounding stuff that happened there. They're looking at his businesses. They're looking at his taxes. And they're all of this, again, we know because of some really amazing reporting. The state attorney general in New York is also looking into him. The attorney general in New Jersey is looking at whether one of his clubs hi hired undocumented migrants. Uh, Maryland and D.C., they're going before a judge and trying to get uh, – the judge actually said they could sue him because he's still profiting from his hotel and the president can't take under the Constitution money from foreigners. Should journalists keep going? Is it – without a Mueller report out there to, to filter all these investigations through, is it worth continuing to investigate the president of the United States? Journalists don't stop looking into things because one guy said, hey, this other guy says there's no there there. The journalists go, okay, well, let me find out. Most of my reporting focuses on financial crime, financial uh, trickery, if you like. One of the journalists still finding out more about Trump is Al Jazeera's Will Jordan. So I got a hold of him in our London office. I've done a lot of work recently on uh, Ukraine. And there's an interesting uh, guy named Pavel Fuchs, who was one of the people who negotiated with Donald Trump for several years during the 2000s about building a Trump Tower in Moscow. This time, the trail of financial trickery he was following led him straight to Donald Trump before he was President Trump. Will found himself investigating one of the most talked about pieces of property in the Mueller investigation, Trump Tower Moscow, a property that was never built. And obviously the Trump Tower Moscow is notorious. 
President Trump's hope of having a property with his name on it in Russia have long been in the making. The Washington Post pointed out today that Trump first visited Russia back in 1987, where he investigated... Let me just read this. The Moscow project was a lucrative business opportunity that sought and likely required the assistance of the Russian government. That's what Mueller's team wrote in a court filing last year. The question we had was, okay, Mueller says there wasn't enough evidence to show a conspiracy between Trump and Russia to change the course of the 2016 election. But does Russia and Russian money have any influence over Trump? Will's pretty good on that. But before we get to Trump Tower Moscow, let's start where Will did, with Pavel Fuchs. President Putin has honored Fuchs for his contribution to the Russian economy. Fuchs owns several prestigious properties in the Russian capital. In Russia and Ukraine, Pavel Fuchs is a big deal. Maybe you remember the Ukrainian revolution, Maidan Square, 2014. That's where Will's story starts. It was that revolution that got Viktor Yanukovych kicked out of office. He was the Ukrainian president and a big Putin supporter. But like all good dictators, Yanukovych had managed to stash away a nice pile of cash and investments. Yanukovych fled to Russia, and it became a big Western priority to freeze his money and get it back to the people of Ukraine. Everything he stole has been frozen, frozen assets. It's this whole legal process involving a judge. And the point is to keep the money out of the wrong hands while they figure out what's going on. So in walks Will's guy, Pavel Fuchs. He's a Russian oligarch, he lives in Ukraine, he does business in Ukraine, and what he sees in this locked away cash is opportunity. If he can pull this off, he's making 160 million bucks, so it's a great deal for him. So he buys 160 million in bonds for a discount price of 30 million because the deal's illegal. A great deal, but also a gamble. The gamble he's taking is, can I unfreeze the money? Can I bribe the right judge? Or can I find some other clever way of getting that money unfrozen? And rather than it going to the people in Ukraine, it goes into my pocket. And that was a story Will broke in 2018. And he found himself uncovering something else. If you look at any stolen money knocking around in Ukraine and Russia, it's not too long before you bump into the name Donald Trump. Will had no idea Trump's name would come up. The way we stumbled into it was uncovering Pavel Fuchs as the man behind part of the deal, uh, who had been openly negotiating business with Trump for many years before that. Pavel Fuchs was negotiating Trump Tower Moscow. Trump's been going to Moscow since the 80s, regularly trying to get a Moscow tower off the ground. And in 2004, Donald Trump and Felix Sater, another investor, were shopping for something big in Moscow. Pavel Fuchs uh, is now the second biggest gas license holder in Ukraine, which means he's one of the biggest guys, one of the biggest oligarchs in town. And what he says was, since 2004, when Felix Sater introduced him to Trump, They've been negotiating 
about the possibility of building a Trump Tower. And that rumbled on from 2004 into 2006. He met Ivanka, he met Donald, he went to Florida. They went and visited each other in Moscow and uh, they spoke and they talked about how they wanted to build a Moscow Trump Tower together. The way Trump comes in and the advantage that Trump offers is that Trump's a big sexy name, especially in Russia. Everyone knows Donald Trump. He's the Miss Universe guy. So all he's doing is providing his brand. But the deal didn't work out. Trump and Sater wanted $20 million from Fuchs. Fuchs says it was too much money. When 2010 rolled around, Fuchs's financier, Mukhtar Abliazov, was arrested and accused of a massive $10 billion fraud, stealing money out of his own bank, which was partly state-owned in Kazakhstan. And that spelt the end of their attempts, Donald Trump and Pavel Fuchs, to build a Trump Tower in Moscow. And after that, Fuchs's whole career in Russia hit the skids. He disappeared. He lost a lot of money. He sold his $100 million debt and he turned up in Ukraine, and that's where he is today. Uh, and the people of Ukraine are now asking, who the hell is this guy? Is he Russian? Is he Ukrainian? Whose interest does he represent? Is he working for himself? Is he working for the Russian government? He's a mystery. And Trump still didn't give up on Trump Tower Moscow. According to Mueller's investigation, his attempts continued while he was running for president of the United States. And some of these players kept running up against the law. Mukhtar Abliazov, Fuchs' Kazakh financier, became a global fugitive and was arrested in France. His assets were frozen too. And we're still learning what really happened to that money. In New York, uh, a new complaint was filed by BTA Bank accusing Felix Sater of trying to launder money through uh, Trump Tower Moscow that was money stolen by Abliazov from BTA Bank. The Moscow Trump Tower deal is among the most disturbing because that's something the president was pursuing uh, throughout the midst of the presidential campaign. This is the Democratic chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, Adam Schiff, on Face the Nation. We're bringing Felix Sater in to talk about Moscow Trump Tower. We're also looking at persistent allegations that the Russians have been laundering money through the Trump organization. I don't know. So it goes round and round and round, and the same characters pop up. You have Felix Sater everywhere. You have Mukhtar Abliazov. You have Donald Trump. You have all these guys. And so much money sloshing around, it's extremely hard to trace it all and work out what's going on, as uh, all of these various people, from journalists to lawyers to investigators to accountants, are all finding out. It just seems like there's so many similar stories with Trump and Russian money. In order to understand why Donald Trump turns to Russia and turns to Russian money for his investment, you have to understand the fate of Donald Trump's business the first time around. He was facing bankruptcy. He couldn't raise any money. He didn't have any finance. He was in massive debt. So what did he do? He found Russian oligarchs people who had huge amounts of money that they needed to get out of Russia before they lost it all. And he provided an outlet for that. He provided an investment vehicle for them, real estate. The list is long of condos bought in Trump buildings with dirty Russian money. 
Uh, and you have to understand what either side is getting from it. Trump is getting finance, which he needs, which he has struggled to receive from other parts of the world. And the Russians are getting a way to invest their money in the West. So the goal for the Russians is to get rich and get out because it's the only way you can keep your cash. Are you saying that from what you've learned that there may be another, a separate motivation for Trump to be aligned with Putin, to be aligned with Russia, apart from collusion involving the election? Donald Trump is a businessman. And what do businessmen want? Businessmen want business. They want deals. They want money. And so for Donald Trump, his main motivation has always been making money. And for the Russians, they've been willing to offer him money. You elect a president to represent the national interest, to only pursue the national interest. But what happens when there's a crossover and suddenly he still has very wide business interests where he invites people to the United States and puts them up in his own hotels and where foreign nations who are desperate to curry favor with this new Trump administration spread their largesse wherever they can, where they'll rent rooms in Trump hotels. They'll also be likely to be inclined to dangle business deals in front of Trump across the world. Nations are looking at ways of gaining influence in D.C. And, and now business is, uh, is in play like it hasn't been before. What's the worst case scenario? I mean, if he does feel, even, even if America disagrees with him, if the world disagrees with him, he seems to feel vindicated. How much farther can he go with what he's been doing if he thinks it's okay? Ah, good question. I don't know what the worst case scenario is. Um, presumably it's one in which uh, Trump feels he can act with impunity, where the rules that have been built up um, based on the American Constitution uh, are no longer um, sacrosanct in the way they should be. That's presumably the worst case scenario. And a lot of Americans would argue the country is already there. So I wanted to ask Patty what's ahead for this businessman come president. I always go back to this. Donald Trump, I don't, you know, everybody basically says he's engaged in shady practices for a lot of his career. Why run for president and expose yourself to that? The truth is, America never thought Trump could win the 2016 election. And from most accounts, neither did Donald Trump. But he did win. And now he's running for president again. But this time, he's prepared. He's going to try and go after the people who went after him, send a message, bad things happen if you look into me. It's not going to deter anyone. I, this doesn't hurt him right now. It helps him right now. It, it reinforces to his base that this is a man who's trying to change Washington and is under attack. Uh, it demoralizes Democrats who thought Bob Mueller was going to be like, you know, the savior riding on a white horse. Look, your president's treasonous, you know. Uh, so Democrats are scrambling right now. It's a long time till the election. I mean, it is so long. And the fact that it's already started is like, come on. Right now, it doesn't hurt him. Does it hurt him in the long term? We have to wait and see what Mueller found because we don't know. 
Patty, most importantly, are you going to be able to get time off this weekend? No. Isn't that so sad? I'll get time off the week after that. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Amy Walters, with production help from Morgan Waters, Dina Kispe, Priyanka Tilve, and Ney Alvarez. Natalia Aldana is The Take's social media producer. Graylin Brashear is the show's lead producer. And I'm Imbiaz Tayeb. Special thanks to Will Jordan and Patty Culhane. Get some rest. We'll be back next week. <laughs>